Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. My name is Mary Vandenack. I'm the founder and CEO at Vandenack Weaver Trulson. And I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about legal and tax issues, trusts and estates, business succession and exit planning, legal technology, law practice management, law firm leadership, and well-being. First, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. There's always a resistance to change, particularly with attorneys. Attorneys like to look back at what's worked in the past, and that makes a lot of sense. But when you realize that with a good automated drafting system, you can do a better job for your clients, deliver documents on a more timely fashion, in a more consistent and in a more costly manner. If you're not a subscriber to Interactive Legal, I urge you to go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. And you'll be contacted about having a demonstration of interactive legal for you, which can be done right over the Internet. Don't have to leave your office. No salesperson will call. We can arrange it at a time inconvenient for you. So please go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. On today's episode, my guest is Dan Siegel. Dan previously joined me for an episode on productivity. Dan is an attorney from the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. He is a nationally recognized authority on legal ethics, technology, cybersecurity, techno-ethics, data protection, and business law office practice and workflow management. Dan also provides techno-ethics and professional responsibility counsel to solo, small, and mid-sized law firms on cybersecurity, technology, and other related issues. I asked Dan to join me on this episode to discuss the security issues. Thanks for joining me today, Dan. Thank you, and glad to be here. So, Dan, can we just start with a general explanation of what we're talking about when we use the word security in its most basic sense? Well, we're talking about maintaining security of everything from devices to information. So, If you're in your office, it is the security of your office's sort of computer system. 
um, and the data that's stored on it. If you're using a mobile device, it's the same type of thing, but in a different location. But it's essentially making sure that the data or information you have stays in your hands and doesn't get into the wrong hands. And so let's talk about the whole smartphone as a device for a moment. So you're in Pennsylvania, and as I understand it, you're actually involved in helping contribute to some of the Pennsylvania bar ethical opinions. And I don't know if you actually were involved in writing the one, but you had forwarded me one on the smartphones. And the Mm -hmm. smartphones are a fairly significant issue in that a lot of us might have confidential client information, might have our Outlook and have our contacts on there. And there's apps that will say, hey, can you know I access things on your phone? Can you just talk a little bit about the security and what we really need to be thinking about with our smartphone and the risks and what we can do to protect? Yeah. Um, and, and first, what you're talking about is um, the Pennsylvania Bar, the Committee on Legal Ethics and Professional Responsibility. I'm the chair of that committee. We issued an opinion, 2022-500, talking about... Um, the precautions that attorneys must take to be ethically compliant on their smartphones. We were building on an opinion number 1240 from New York. But what it is, is that the apps that you install on your devices have the ability, if you give them that when they ask, to access a variety of information, your calendars, your contacts, um, information that you may store in files, et cetera. And in order to comply with your ethical obligations, and in Pennsylvania, that means for confidentiality purposes, our definition is information relating to the client. It's very broad. It means that those apps, uh, you, can only, you can't give access to apps to the information unless you know that no human is ever going to see them, view them, et cetera. That was our guidance. Um, And we've given guidance on a wide range of other technology areas too, like that. Um, But I'll give people the best example. Um, Your phone has a flashlight. For years, people, and they still do, download flashlight apps. And it came to light that flashlight apps were requesting and people were routinely granting them up to 50 different levels of permission, seeing everything from contacts to you name it, calendars and anything else. And that's a problem because that meant that information was being harvested by whomever for each app. And there's no reason for your flashlight to need to know where you are, your location, or who your contacts are, or who you're having lunch with or a meeting with tomorrow. So that's a basic example. Well, and I think having read the opinion that said that as an attorney, I need to know with absolute certainty that none of those apps can access my client data. And so I'm going to tell you that after reading the opinion, I'm like, wow, I think I need to get a second smartphone and have that be the only thing I use when connecting to clients. But let's say that's not a feasible option. What do I do? Well, you need to look, I mean, as a practical matter, certain apps that can be, that are installed have privacy built into them or in their permissions. For example, if you're using the Microsoft Outlook 365s in your office and you don't have and you're paying for it at a business level, you're there, they do not harvest information. 
for example. Um, so you do that. You also look at the apps as they install um, and to see what they're asking permission to do, which most people don't do. And finally, you decide what information really needs to be on that device. Um, because for most of us, you don't need a lot of client information. Uh, I, for example, don't have any client information on my phone. If I need to have something, I might email myself something and then remove it quickly. But I don't store client phone numbers and everything. If I have a meeting with them, I'm, I might take that along. But there's no reason to have all of that data. I have colleagues who store their entire case management database, which includes everything, including social security numbers. And I can't even envision when I would need to have that piece of information while I'm anywhere else. So a lot of it is sort of pre-screening what you're putting on both your side and on the app side. Well, so wait, are you on Office 365? Yes. Or Microsoft 365, I guess it is now. So do you have, you don't have your contacts on the phone? I have the contacts on the phone, but my contacts don't include my clients. Okay, so you you might have a contact, say, Sherry in marketing sitting next to me, and because you might call her about a press release, and but right. she's not a client, so that would not be an mm -hmm. issue. But if I'm a client of yours, you wouldn't have my contact on that smartphone. I, no, I don't keep clients in my contacts in, in office at all, or 365, whatever it's called this week. Um, I, I don't have that need. I have a case management database. So I have that information at my fingertips in my office, but I'll keep your information perhaps because you're a colleague. Um, but if we had a matter together, I wouldn't have any of the information regarding that matter on, on the phone, um, at all. There's and no, so the I, contacts get saved in your practice management system. Mm -hmm almost all any that I've seen has that ability. And yeah. then how do you securely access? So you get like an email or somebody calls you and it's an emergency and you need that contact information. How do you access that securely when you're on the road, which you are a lot? First of all, it rarely happens that I wouldn't be able to get it, uh, that, I, that, that people call with those types of emergent situations. Um, but if it's during business hours, usually they'll have called through my office who so will say, oh, by the way, John Smith called, here's his number um, or something like that. If not, I have remote access to my office um, and I can log right into the system through a phone or, you know, through a tablet, which I always have with or something. Um, so I'm seeing it that way. And I'm always connecting through the a 5G network or 4G, whatever is there, I'm not using Wi-Fi almost ever. I rarely use Wi-Fi. So I saw you recently at a meeting, and that's what you had. Can you just describe that? Because I've mentioned that a couple times, and it seems like a lot of people really want to understand what that device is. Okay. Well, when I travel, I'll typically travel with a laptop, a tablet, and my phone. Uh, and all of them are connected directly to the network, in this case, I use Verizon. Um, I don't connect to Wi-Fi networks unless I'm using, you know, I want to, you know, maybe if a movie or something, but rarely. All of them have unlimited data, which costs virtually nothing um, compare, comparatively. It's, it's inexpensive. I also will have a jetpack, 
So if I really need to connect, then I'm ha I can use that, which is also another secure thing. So I'm not risking going into a Wi-Fi network, but they all are. Can they? None of them requires Wi-Fi because they're all connected directly to Verizon's network. So as long as there's a Verizon, you know, tower, and pretty much everywhere I go there is, I'm secure. And your jetpack is a 5G, so a lot of times that's going to be a better connection anyway than some of the hotel or other connections that you run into in coffee shops or it's whatever. It's better, more secure, and you can, if I needed to, and we were at a meeting, I could create a password and I can connect 32 devices to my head, hot, my jetpack, um, and each one would have a secure connection. You know, so it's, and it cost me $20 a month. Uh, seems like a bargain to me, plus you know, they usually give you the devices for free or virtually free. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors. Financial advice is useless without empathy. At Foster Group, we want to hear your story, your goals, your worries about the future. Only then can we help you feel confident about all aspects of your financial life. Come experience how it feels to be truly cared for at Foster Group. Connect with us at fostergrp.com. Foster Group's written disclosure brochure, as set forth in Part 2A of Form ADV, discusses advisory services and fees, is available at www.fostergrp.com. Okay, let's continue our episode. So in protecting data, the obligations are to protect data that's you know at rest or safe mm -hmm. somewhere, right? as well as the communication process. So the, there's the communications by you know, email we've talked a little bit about or text or any of those. And I think another one of the opinions, I think it was one of the Pennsylvania opinions, talked about the security of communications. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, we, are the, we issued last month two ethical guidance opinions on the same day, and that was a planned decision. One was the um, smartphone and the other was the e was email. The email is an extensive opinion that took over a year to draft and get a consensus and approval. But they're both on the sense of securing data. But email, lawyers take for granted. Um, and they transmit a lot of information in an insecure fashion. They buy attachments that aren't password protected or encrypted or, you know, something done to prevent access. They use, you know, they'll use the Wi-Fi networks at Starbucks and things, all the types of things they're not supposed to do. And we compiled the best practices with what you must do in terms of advising clients about communication, um, basically setting forth the minimum standards required under the Pennsylvania rules, which are pretty similar to the model rules. So one way or another, they're similar to most states. And then giving best practices as well, because the goal is to create best practices that keep lawyers away from disciplinary trouble. Um, you know, we want to give them advice so they never hear from disciplinary counsel. So I do a lot of estate planning. And so I see a lot of financial statements, tax returns, detailed information about the clients. So would it be secure for me just to use my Microsoft 365 email, send an email, say, here's an intake form, please fill this out, send it back? What we do is 
if the if that intake form is going to have a lot of information, social security numbers, we discuss with clients from the start. And it's a, it's a very casual discussion. It's not something meant to scare them. But if you say to people, you know, is it going to have your social security number in there? And someone may see it. Do you want to put a password on the document? Um, do you want us to use, we use ShareFile. There's lots of services like that where you can access it with a link or a click or something to that effect. Or are you comfortable with us sending that information? Uh, and we have that discussion. We know where the clients want or don't want. We record that and we go on from there. And then we also build that up with our engagement letters that discuss the security of all the different communications and how we do it. But I don't expect they all read the engagement letters. Right. So if you gave the best practices, and in some cases, some are required to, like if they represent healthcare facilities, banks, things like that, and I assume some of those are what fall in the best practices, but if I said, okay, what are the best practices for secure communications? Because I really don't want, you know, in my communication, a client might be providing me social security numbers, dates of birth, details about family members, Mm -hmm and financial information. So I actually use ShareFile for the most part. And sometimes we'll have them call with certain information and just record it and Mm -hmm. lock that down immediately as well because ShareFile is far more secure than using the email, we think, but we still, in some cases, will ask that. But if you said, okay, what are some of the best practices we could identify in communications? Like, is there a thing that says, what is okay just to send off a quick email and what should I be thinking about before I send that email to make a good decision? Well, it's, you know, we, when we talk about the email, there's a footnote in there that it's really important. um, And the footnote talks about routine communications that there's no expectation or concern about privacy or security. So if you and I are, meeting for lunch, um, as I did yesterday with a friend, uh, we emailed back and forth. But if I were going to deal with his estate plan, um, I wouldn't be sending our, or asking, or I wouldn't have him send the, we had sent out a questionnaire to clients, wouldn't have him send that back unless there was a secure method of doing it, or we offered that option to him. Uh, You know, the easiest way for people to deal with this for lawyers is anything that has client information, any attachment should have a password. Yesterday, I received three emails from an attorney after the work for the state of Pennsylvania that contained extensive nine megabytes each um, attachment of medical records. That should never have been sent that way. And he works for the state, which should know better and I know has other practices in place. That's the problem, um, is the lawyers who take that for granted and then expose that information. And those were all extensive medical records. So, and I was going to switch to like, so there's again, the data that's being sent and we've talked about some of the risk and there's also data and how it's stored. Are the risks mm-hmm. bigger in terms of, because we hear, hear all of the cybersecurity and all the breaches going on, is it a greater risk when you're sending a communication or when you're storing, or are they just different? 
Well, they're they're different. I mean, we store everything on our we have an on-site server. So we're not concerned because the server is behind a firewall. There is extensive security to it, um, including antivirus, any malware, and everything else, which is what we do here with a smaller firm. But the my bigger concern is the communication because that's where the greatest risk is. Years ago, I used to, um, you know, uh, do programs, and I used to quote from a columnist from a magazine called Maximum PC. He used to say it's the least secure method of communication is email. Um, but lawyers still don't seem to have always sort of gotten that religion and recognized it. So, if you were to identify with respect to communications for somebody who hasn't been highly aware and perhaps has had an issue and suddenly says, oh, you know what, I need to pay more attention to it. What are the three things I might implement tomorrow to improve the security of my communications? Well, the first is you get rid of or stop using free email services. Um, don't use the AOLs or the Yahoos for business um, communication because still a lot of lawyers do. Um, and we see that all too often. Second, um, you only use secure communication methods. What people hear about is a VPN, which is essentially a tunnel, um, like a pipe that your communications are in so that no one else can see them. And third is to ensure that the data that you're transmitting is, is protected, which is typically either share file or a password or something. Really easy to put passwords on files. And you can actually, if you're a lawyer and you're sending a draft of a document, and I, I show this because it's, it's like people love this. They think it's a great trick, but you can take a doc. I can take a document I'm sending you with all types of information. And with one click out of Microsoft Word, have it become a PDF, add that it's uh, the watermarks that it's, you know, it's confidential, um, put a password on it and send it. Um, well, there's nothing much easier than that, but you have to at least have learned how to do it. Um, but lawyers don't always want to learn or teach their staff how to do things efficiently. So as we're coming to the end of this episode, is there any last thoughts you'd like to add on the issue of security? Yeah, a lot of times it doesn't, it doesn't take a lot to improve your security. You know, a lot of the apps on your phones, um, we use... I use Norton's app, but there's a lot like it. And the Norton app automatically, ha it has a built-in VPN. So anytime I'm anywhere on a network that is not secure, it automatically secures my communication. That's a great thing. You know, rarely is it needed. In my office, I'm connected to the secure. We have a secure Wi-Fi network for external communication. But that's the type of thing you need. And that's basic and, you know, you can get a 10 licenses of Norton for 30 bucks for a year. Well, $3 a device or a computer is a price you can't beat. Well, thanks so much, Dan. As we reach the end of our episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. 
Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have. A Huda Media Production.